Let's start with a word of prayer. Father God, we give to you your word. Our hearts, our minds, our ears as we listen to your word. Lord, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit and be alive and active in this place? That we would take those steps to take your word further. Not as a religious exercise, but in a real life application. That we would be a light. That we would be a salt in this earth, in our community. Lord God, we praise you for saving us. The salvation you've brought us, we pray, Lord, you give us the opportunity to share that with others. That they would know the same hope, the same salvation. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, we're attacking a very large passage today. This is containing the longest speech in the book of Acts. And as we read through it, I'm going to let you sit down. As we read through it, we want to see who was Stephen? What did Stephen do? And how did he deal with the reaction that he received? Those three things. Who was Stephen? What did Stephen do? And how did he deal with the reaction that he received? Let's go ahead and open our Bibles up to Acts chapter 6, starting at verse 8. Reading all the way through chapter 8, verse 1. Acts chapter 6, starting at verse 8. It says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and against the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. The high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. And said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God moved him from there into this land into which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child." God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave them the covenant of circumcision. 
And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was forty years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now, when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. 
As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god, Raphan, and the images you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law and delivered as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of this Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus! Receive my spirit. Falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. Who was Stephen? few verses earlier than where we started, we, we learned that there were several deacons, seven to be exact, seven deacons that were chosen, and they were to be, according to verse 3 of chapter 6, pick out from amongst you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. The deacons to be chosen were to be of good repute, full of spirit and wisdom. What is good repute? To be of, of good repute is, 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 think about this. What do other people say about you? What is your reputation? These people, these deacons that were to be chosen, were to have a walk with Christ that other people could see and could attest to. When people talked about Stephen outside of his circle, what did they have to say about him? 
He had a walk with Christ that they could see. And that's what they would talk about. In verse 5 of chapter 6, it says something about Stephen specifically. It says, And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Stephen was singled out to be a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. He had faith. He trusted God in the things that he could not see or could not understand because he knew the truth of the evidence that he had seen and had understood. See, Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. See, faith, faith is not to be blind. It's not an ignorant acceptance of whatever somebody tells us, but it's the assurance and the conviction of things not seen. See, it's, it's to be an intelligent, knowledgeable, knowledge-filled trust applied to our lives. See, since we, we go, since God has shown me this, and since God has done this, then I will trust him in the things that I don't know. Because I know all of this to be true. Because God has raised Jesus Christ from the dead, 500 people saw it at once, 11 out of 12 disciples died to, for that faith. I know that's true, and therefore I will walk with God in anything he says because I know him to be true. That's faith. Whatever should come, I'll walk with God because he's shown himself to be true. He's shown himself to be God. Stephen was full of faith. He would walk with God through anything. He was full of the Spirit. He was not content with a mere understanding that I've accepted Jesus as my Savior, therefore the Spirit is now living in me. He, he was not content with a mere understanding that God's Spirit lived inside of him by faith in Jesus Christ. He, he prayed for boldness. He, he prayed that the Spirit would be alive and active in his life. Just as, as Peter earlier in, in chapter 4, verse 8, was filled with the Spirit when he was standing before the Sanhedrin, he was relying upon God when he stood there to proclaim the truth about Jesus Christ before them. Just as the disciples did all all together in chapter 4, verse 31, when they, they were praying for boldness, they were praying to be strong, to continue the work of God, to proclaim the truth of the gospel, and they wanted that Spirit, and the Spirit filled them. The place shook. Amen. Stephen sought opportunity to do the Lord's work with boldness that the Spirit would work through him where he was, wherever he was. Here in our passage today, if we look at verse 8, it says, And Stephen, full of grace and power. Stephen was full of grace and power. Grace is that same word used for the benevolent giving of gifts by God to men. Stephen had been given forgiveness. Stephen had been given the Spirit. And Stephen had been given gifts by God. 
He was a man gifted by God with a power not his own, but a power from the Spirit of God. Verse 10, more about Stephen. It says, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. He was a man of wisdom. He was a man of knowledge and an understanding of how to rightly apply that knowledge. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And that's what Stephen had. He had wisdom. Knowledge well applied. He had a fear of God and a knowledge of his word. Because fear of God and a real knowledge of his word go hand in hand. They go together. To truly know God is to truly fear him. When we really understand who God is, we will be afraid. We can't know him without knowing and applying his word to our lives. Stephen was ready with answers. Whatever these guys should question them, him, he was ready with answers, not because he knew the questions ahead of time or, or the accusations ahead of time, but because he knew the word of God. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Stephen knew that to honor Christ as holy, he had to be ready to give an answer to anybody who should ask him. Why do you have this faith? Why do you trust in this Jesus? Who was Stephen? Big surprise here for you. Stephen was a Christian. He had faith in Christ. A faith that he applied in a way that people noticed. He had the Spirit living in him. He had God-given gifts. He had that grace of God in his life. He had a knowledge of the Word. He had a fear of God that gave him wisdom. And he was doing something with those things. Let, Let me ask you a few questions. Do you have faith in Jesus Christ? Having understood that which is evident to be true, having heard the call of God's Spirit upon your heart, have you accepted the gift of salvation that is in Christ alone? Have you by faith been made alive together with Jesus Christ? Saved by grace, not a result of works that none of us should boast, having a real saving faith in Jesus, not just a religious acknowledgement, oh, I've done my duty on Sunday, now I'm going to go do whatever. Set my faith aside. Have you confessed your sinful condition before a holy God? 
Have you acknowledged that the wages of your sin is death? That is exactly what we deserve, no more. Have you accepted Jesus Christ's sacrifice in your place to pay the price for your sins at the cross? Believing on his name, do you walk with him now in newness of life? Can people see that faith in you? What do people think when they see you coming? Because your, your reputation, the way you live out your faith, the way you speak about Jesus Christ will go before you. Your reputation, your repute, good or bad, will speak long before the words come out of your mouth. Can people see your faith in your life? Is, is, it, is it something that others attest to in a positive way? Do you have a trust in God that you apply to your life and live out? Do you have faith in Jesus Christ? Do you have the Spirit of God living in you? If you have believed on the name of Jesus Christ for your salvation, you have His Spirit living in you. Guaranteed. As Paul said to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. And that spirit was not just for Stephen. It's for anyone Everyone, whosoever believes in the name of Jesus Christ for salvation, the Spirit of God is in you. Are you like Stephen? Full of the Spirit. Not content with a, with a, a passing relationship, but, but constantly seeking out that connection with God in prayer that time with him, that shared space with him, wanting him to be a part of your whole life, never setting him aside. Not setting him aside when you go to watch the football game tonight. But even where you are, having your faith on display for others to see, know, hear, and then talk about afterwards. May they talk about us as they talked about Stephen. Do you desire that, that shared life with God, filled with the Spirit, desiring that he would work through you? Do you have God-given gifts? Do you have the grace of God in your life? What, what is that grace of God in your life in particular? Right, I have a test for you. Put your right or left hand in front of your face. And do this. Do you have breath? Because if you have breath, that is a gift from God. You didn't give that ability to yourself, did you? To breathe in, to breathe out. I was born with that. I was given that. I did not make that myself. God gave me that ability. And I tell you what, if that is all you have, if that is the only thing you have, you can whisper prayers. And think about the power of a whispered prayer to an almighty God 
who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, who is still just as able today as he always has been. He's still the Lord of hosts. Do you have a particular talent or a particular skill? Are you, are you savvy with numbers? Are you a good teacher? Are you a craftsman? What is it that God has gifted you with? Any of those things, they're a gift from God. You may have fanned it into flame. You may have worked on it and honed it, and now you can use it. You have gifts. What are they? Make a list. Do you have a knowledge of God's word? Even if you don't feel like you have a real deep knowledge yet, believe me, the more you know about God's word, the more you feel like you don't know. Even if you don't feel like you have a deep knowledge, let's heed the call, the biblical call, the scriptural call to be prepared. Do, Do you have a Bible? Here with you. You probably have one or five at home, right? They, they're the things that sit under the cup next to your bed, right? Do, do you have a Bible? Use it. Use it regularly. Use it daily. Get into it. Eat up the Word of God. Go to Bible Training Center. It's Thursday nights. You can't start right now, but it'll come back around. Go there. Take the Bible Training Center courses. Take a a college Bible course online. Get a, a certificate. Do something to continue the sanctification process in your life. Don't let your faith be stagnant. Static unmoving. That's not what we are called to. See, Stephen took the skill set that he had along with his faith in Jesus Christ, the, the wisdom that he had gleaned from God's word, and he allowed the spirit to work through him. He was a Christian, plain and simple. He he took that Ephesians 2 passage all the way to its end. God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. And how often we stop right there. Stephen took it all the way to its end. for, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, Stephen was a doer and not just a hearer of God's word. He wasn't just a Sunday Christian, but he took it out into his life. He understood that he was not saved by grace so that he could sit on the couch and simply have that fire insurance in his back pocket so that he can just be sure he's not going to go to hell and he can just live the way he wants to in the rest of his life. That's not how, it's work, how it works. That's not what it's about. It's not religion. We aren't gathered here to fulfill some kind of religious holiness or righteousness before God. It's not by works that none of us can boast. 
Stephen lived that he might take the spirit, the power, the grace, the wisdom, the gifts of God that he had been given and start doing something with them. So what did Stephen do? What did Stephen do? Well, he, he took the gospel message. He took the gospel message in both word and deed. Where? Where? Verse 8. Chapter 6, verse 8. It says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs at home in his bedroom when he was alone because our faith is a private matter, right? It says he was doing great wonders and signs among the people. He went out to the people because our faith is never a private matter. Chapter 1, verse 8 of Acts throws that whole idea right out the window. Jesus tells his disciples, you are to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Go! Go into all the world, teaching them, discipling them, baptizing them. It's Matthew, right? Our faith is never a private matter. That's a cop-out for people who are more afraid of people than God. I know the feeling. Believe me. But, but our faith in Jesus Christ is seed to be sown in our soil. Sown in that sphere of influenced lives that we have. To those who would listen and accept Jesus Christ... And to those who don't necessarily want to hear about it. See, sometimes we serve the Lord to people's salvation. And there are times, unfortunately, more often than not, that we serve the Lord to the condemnation of others. Stephen carefully crafted his speech. He he crafted this speech to point out to them their sin. Because we can't understand that the gospel is good news until we comprehend the bad news of the depth of our sin. See, people don't want to be saved or or they don't feel like they need to be saved from something when they don't feel like they're in danger. People go swimming in the ocean all the time, as nuts as it might be. They go out there and they think they're perfectly safe. And they don't call out for help while they're swimming in the ocean. They don't realize there's eight sharks circling them. They won't call out to help for help until you say, look, there's eight sharks. Then they start flailing, right? Look at the danger you're in. Oh, no, I'm going to drown, right? But they wouldn't call out for help until they realized they were in danger. We won't realize the good news of the gospel until we comprehend the danger that we are in, the depth of of our sin. Because we have to point out sin for what it is, sharing Christ is not always the nice thing to do. It's not always the the nicest thing to do for people. Look how rotten you are. Have a nice day, right? But it is always the most loving thing that we can do. 
being nice and being loving can sometimes be two very different things. Being nice can sometimes be the most cruel thing that we can do. People don't need nice. They need Jesus. And so Stephen points their, their sin. He, he puts their sin on display from the word of God. Do you see how in this whole speech, he, he's, he, for, for until the very end, he's just laying out the truth of the word of God that they would see in that, that they would see in their forefathers, they would see themselves. It's not Stephen who condemns their sin, because he is, and, and we are, just as bad as the people that Stephen was talking to. We're just as bad as the next guy, aren't we? And if we're to convict others of their sin, we've got to do it from the Word of God. We've got to speak to them about how holy God is, not how holy we are. He is the only perfect one. He is the one who is worthy to point out our sinful condition. So Stephen begins with a historic account that reminds them that they were a people chosen by God, a people of his hand. He shows them that the God is not contained within the walls of Israel. He's not contained in the people of Israel as, as God was with Abraham in, in before Haran and then in Haran and then took him all over the place, right? Brought him to the promised land. He took the chosen people to Egypt. He brought them out of Egypt. God is not contained by them. He is not the work of their hands. Stephen reminds them then that, that their forefathers had rejected the leader, Moses, that God had selected for them, who had foretold the coming of the Messiah, this Messiah, the Christ, who they themselves had rejected the same way their forefathers had rejected Moses. All in spite of God's leading and guidance, they had the covenant of circumcision. They had the tent of the witness. They had the oracles of God. And they put other things before him. They were no better than their forefathers. And we are no better than they. Before we can come before God, before we can come before the Lord, we must recognize our sinful condition. His holiness, our imperfection. We choose it all the time, don't we? So how can we do this for the people in our lives? How can we do what Stephen did for these men? Well, we can begin by asking them a simple question. If, if you were to stand before God, this, this very day, and, and he was to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? If you were standing before God today, you get hit by a car, and you're, you're standing before God, and God says, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And most people will start to say, well, I've done more good than bad. My, my good works will outweigh my bad ones. I'll try to point these things out to you because we, we want to see ourselves as good and right. We all want to feel good about ourselves, don't we? 
to help them recognize their sinful state. We're, we're going to have to break them out of that, that good works idea. And, and we can do that by, by recounting with them the Ten Commandments. Even if you can't remember all ten, I guarantee you probably only have to remember one of them. If you, if you can remember one of the Ten Commandments, I'm pretty sure they've broken it. We all have broken most of them at some point. So recount with them those Ten Commandments. Show them, help them to see where they've done some wrong before God and then remind them that we won't go to hell for our good works. God is not evil. He is not mean. He is not cruel. He's not going to send you to hell for anything good that you have done. We go to hell for our sin, not our good works. So all we have to do is see, have we sinned? Any amount of sin, any amount of sin against a infinite, holy, perfect, eternal God will deserve or will have an infinite, eternal impact. One small sin against an infinite, eternal, holy, perfect God will have an infinite, eternal impact upon his holiness. He won't live with sin. Not at all. And it will require an infinite, eternal payment. And ask them, are you prepared to pay that? Or, or would you rather it be paid for you? See, see, the good news is that Jesus did just that in our place. When he died on the cross, it was to die in your place for you. And he was able to do that human for human, God in our place infinite, eternal, able to pay that price for all sin, for all time. All you need to do is accept what he has done so that you won't have to pay the price yourself. What did Stephen do? He reached the hearts of the rulers of Israel with the truth of the gospel. And if somebody is going to understand and accept the truth of the gospel, they will have to confront their sin. And when people's sins are made apparent... They won't like it. When, when, when their, their faults and their shortcomings become glaring, that they'll have a couple of reactions. Nobody likes it. Uh, it'd be nice if they all repented the way David repented before Nathan when Nathan said, look, you've sinned and, and you had this relationship with Bathsheba. You shouldn't have. And David said, forgive me, God. It'd be nice if they all did that, but most of the time they're going to react as the rulers of, of Israel do here. And they plug their ears, they choose ignorance, and they rush at him. They hate having their sins pointed out. It's human nature. We don't like being told we're wrong or we've done bad. We have that sinful nature in us. So how did he deal with it? How did Stephen deal with the reaction that he received, as extreme and as hurtful as it was? Stephen dealt with the rage and anger by having a heightened focus on Jesus Christ. He, as opposed to a narcissistic, a self-focus or a focus on something or, or someone else, he kept his eyes on Jesus Christ and on Christ alone. 
he completely ignored their rage. Verse 55 of chapter 7. They heard these things, this is verse 54. They were enraged, they ground their teeth at him, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he just started recounting to them, this is what I see, this is where I'm looking, this is my focus. Where's yours? See, Stephen ignored their rage by having his eyes focused on God, knowing that their rage was ultimately against God and not against him. He knew that whatever should happen to him on this earth, he knew exactly where he was going. Beyond the shadow of a doubt, he knew what Jesus had done for him. And this kind of confidence, this kind of assurance, this kind of knowledge shouldn't be amazing or shocking to us. Who was Stephen? He was a Christian. Just like you, just like me. This kind of confidence shouldn't be shocking for us as Christians. This is our call, our call to normalcy. This is the way it is every day for us, our, our focus on Christ. We are called to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. When we deal with persecution or hatred because of our faith, we get hurt or afraid because we are self-focused instead of Christ-focused. Don't we know that whatever we may endure on this earth, it pales in comparison to what God has prepared for us? A city, a place with him. Jesus calls it paradise. Have you ever been to paradise? There's no paradise on this earth, is there? Don't we remember what Jesus himself went through on our behalf? Let us, let us set our fears aside in the fear of God alone, keeping our eyes on Christ. Are, are we prepared to share the truth of Jesus Christ, to follow through on Jesus' command to bear witness to the truth of the gospel, to share Jesus in our soil, out among the people. Not to keep it at home, but to take it out there. And please understand that I'm not saying that you should remain in an, abu- in an abusive situation where you are physically, emotionally, or mentally abused on a regular basis or might even be killed. Stephen's situation was sudden and extreme. But are we prepared to share Christ with conviction wherever we are and to deal uprightly with forgiveness, not anger, not evil for evil? Are we prepared to deal uprightly with the reaction that we receive, whatever it should be? 
See, there's nothing to stop you from being a Stephen except that space between your ears where Satan whispers, no, you can't. You aren't like him. He was special. He was different. He was above you. He was beyond you. Don't even think about being a Stephen. Yes, you are. Do you have faith in Jesus? Yes, you are like Stephen. Apply it to your life. Find ways to ensure that people can recognize it in you. Not annoying ways. Be of good repute, right? Are you gifted by God's grace? Yes, you are like Stephen. You have a different set of gifts. But you have a set of gifts that has gotten you into that sphere of influence lives that you have. You have God's spirit alive in you. Do you feel like you lack wisdom? Pray for it, James 1.5. You, you have God's word, study it. Heed the call to be prepared and, and answer the call to share the gospel. Stephen is a great example to us of somebody who lived out his walk with Christ using the gifts he had been given for the glory of Christ and the spread of the gospel message. Do we want to see revival here in this place? Don't wait for somebody else to talk to your soil. It won't happen. If you won't do it, nobody else will. Your soil is a gift from God. It is yours. He's given it to you. Be a Stephen. Do we want to see this church grow? Do we want to see it grow spiritually, physically, greater numbers of people to know about Christ, to build each other up, to encourage each other, that we would have a, a thrilling, exciting walk with Christ right here in this place to take it further. Do we want to see these things happen? We need to invite people. We need to take up that, that call to, to reach out to people personally, to, to make it happen. If you think you got a good thing going here, share it. In the early church, the apostles, the deacons, the disciples were all the tools, the instrument that God used to grow his church. And it's the very same thing today. We are the tools. We are the instruments. We are what God will use to grow his church. If we only will take up the call. Let's do it. Let's be Stevens wherever we are, wherever God has placed us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word that, that presents to us a man like Stephen that was full of your spirit, ready to go, faithful, knowledgeable of your word, Lord. And, and we praise you that he is an example to us to attain to, but Lord, he is not an example that we can't attain to. For you have given us your spirit. You have called us to faith. You have given us your word. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that we would be people of application, that we would live out this faith in our lives, that we would go out amongst the people, that we'd take our faith out there. We pray all this in Jesus Christ's name for your glory. Amen.